I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are coming to you on Thursday, October 29th, also known as Big East Women's Basketball Media Day. So all day starting at 9 a.m., we heard from Val Ackerman, league commissioner, and then we heard from all 11 of the league's head coaches, including Gino Ariama and Kristen Williams and Paige Beckers. We will get into all of that in a little bit, but first... We've got some exciting show news. So this will be the last time we record every two weeks. Starting this week with this episode, we're going to be going to you every single week leading up to the season, into the season, and through the end of the season. Our rough plan is we're going to cover media day today. We're hoping, if things go well, to get our first guest next week. If things go really well, we're going to have a really, really good guest to kick things off. And then in each of the weeks leading up to the start of the season, we'll have a guest on. And then obviously, once we get into the season, we'll have plenty to talk about there. But yeah, so get ready to start listening once a week. I think it's going to be a nice little change for us. So Big East Media Day today. In a shocking twist, UConn was picked to finish first in the Big East. DePaul got Geno's solitary vote what first place vote because he can't vote for his own team. Marquette was number three. Kristen Williams was named the preseason player of the year. Paige Beckers was named the preseason freshman of the year, as we expected. And then Olivia Nelson, Adota and Avita Westbrook both, both made the preseason big East team. And Kristen Williams and Paige Beckers weren't on it because they weren't allowed to be. Megan, what are your big takeaways from media day? Um, I think from what you've just said about kind of preseason wars, not a lot of surprises there. Obviously, I think everyone expected UConn to be picked first overall, DePaul to be second overall uh, in the Big East. No big surprises there. And also no big surprises on that UConn swept, swept the Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year awards. Though I did find it amusing what Gino said later on in media day today about how he doesn't understand why there's a freshman of the year because you don't know what these kids are going to do when they get to college um, with Paige Beckers on the call. Basically it was like, why is Paige here? Um, So I thought that was pretty funny. I don't even know why we have a preseason freshman of the year. That's pointless. I thought we did away with that stuff. I, I know like we used to have like a preseason all freshman team where you actually had to vote for five guys who you've never seen play a college game. Hey, I think they're going to be first team all Big East freshmen. Like, yeah, come on. You got to be kidding me. By the end of the year, half of those guys didn't even play. So, you know, I don't even know. Here, let me put my hand over. Why, I don't even know why we have Paige on this call, you know. They're, they haven't even played a game. And Paige and Gino are already, like, on level 10 of their friendship. Like, uh, Gino's doing that last week he called her Paige Kardashian after media day he posted a photo with Paige and 
on Instagram and said, I'm only doing this so I can get more followers and then tagged Paige. Like, I can't imagine what they're going to be like when Paige is a junior or senior. Like, it's going to be, they really are going to need their own TV show or something before she graduates. <laughs> yes, that'd be awesome. I'm sure SNY will jump right on that, but they're just so funny already. Agreed. It's like, it's hilarious to watch. Um, they pick on each other a lot. They have fun with it. I feel like it's great that, to see that like Paige is so level-headed about the amount of attention she gets and that she can just take all the jokes from Gino on it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch kind of that friendship develop over the next four years. Right. I think Gino said today that one of the last practices, he made sure Paige could hear, looked at Kristen Williams and went, what's the big deal with her? Like, I've had good players here. She's nothing special. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, the, their new show doesn't need to be anything except just a camera on both of them at all times. Like, don't need any producers. Don't need any script. Just let those two go at it. It would be absolutely must-watch television. Agreed, agreed. I mean, anytime Gino's on television, it's must-watch television. The man comes out with the craziest stuff sometimes, but agreed. Right. If you put the two of them together, it would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So we also got some schedule news. Last time we recorded, you may have heard my postscript as I was editing. So I pretty we pretty much closed up recording. I opened Twitter and Doug Bonjour of her CT reported that UConn was looking into playing a game with Louisville. The podcast itself went out on a Friday and that night UConn announced its non-conference opponents. So it's all pretty much what we've already known. But last episode, we talked about UConn losing the Notre Dame game. They replaced that with Louisville. So they're going to play Louisville on December 4th. Obviously they open up the season with the Mohegan Sun tournament against Mississippi or against Quinnipiac and then likely Mississippi State after that. They're going to play Baylor on the road January 7th they're going to play Tennessee on the road January 21st which is a date that got announced back in June but then seemed to get thrown off a little bit and now it's back and then UConn announced the wrong date initially they said it was January 26th corrected it January 21st is the date for the Tennessee matchup which I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast but why not just push that one to next year or even 2022 like isn't it a charity game? So I thought all the proceeds for that game went to the Pat Summit Foundation. Why play that game without fans when there's really no point and you won't generate the same money as you would have otherwise? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think what made the Tennessee game so much fun at Excel last year was the fan environment and that people got really into it, especially people that have been, you know, women's basketball fans for a long time. That rivalry was such a big part of it for so long so long and people really look forward to kind of getting to go watch that matchup after kind of years of the two not playing each other so to play it again this year without fans it just doesn't make a lot of sense I feel like it's it's a game meant for the fans in a lot of ways right exactly and then the last non-conference game South Carolina which is going to be a Gamble Pavilion that date hasn't been announced yet but Gino confirmed today that it's still on they could add one more game when the non-conference schedule dropped, there were rumors that they might be looking to play Maryland or Little Rock in that final slot. Gino said today that it's probably not going to happen, so their non-conference schedule is pretty set. But honestly, I don't think they could have put together a much better non-conference schedule. Like Now that they're in the Big East, they basically cut all the fluff out of their schedule and are just playing 
the good team. So if you go by ESPN's way too early top 25, South Carolina's ranked as number one, Baylor's ranked as number three, Louisville's ranked as number five, Mississippi State's ranked as number six, and then obviously Quinnipiac is a good in-state opponent that is a series that I know both coaches wanted to get going when they played in the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. So I really don't think you're losing anything by not playing Little Rock, Virginia, Dayton, any of those schools. Those are base. Those would just basically be out of conference games against an equivalent Big East opponent. Agreed. And then even the Tennessee game, like it's not a marquee matchup, like top ten matchup, but it's still a good, like a good test for you. Kind of still a good game. Um, it's gonna be good for their RPI. It's still gonna be tougher than some of those Big East opponents they're gonna get. So it's a strong non-conference opponent as well. So a really strong non-conference schedule in general for a season that that might not have been possible. So I think it's really positive to see that they still got the kind of typical non-conference schedule we see from them. Right. And one of my points last season, when we were trying to evaluate where this UConn team was going into the NCAA tournament. And then after the season got canceled was that it was really tough to find a barometer for them because they either played the three clear best teams in the country, South Carolina, Oregon, Baylor, or they only played AAC opponents or fringe top 25 teams. So like DePaul, they didn't really get anyone in that five to 10 range where they would have been on more level ground against them. And you could have gotten a better sense of how good that UConn team was. I think there's a much better balance in the schedule. Obviously it's hard to tell now, but I think the odds that all of South Carolina, Baylor, Louisville, Mississippi State stay in the top 10 all season long is a little bit lower, but even still, I don't think those teams will be like far and above everyone else, like UConn's three big opponents last year. And then, as you said, you have, you had Tennessee who I think should be a top 25 team this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but then DePaul's usually sitting around the top 25 Marquette hangs in there too. So I think it'll be a much more balanced schedule where we'll get a better feel of where this UConn team is. Agreed. It's still got a Tennessee team that has Renia Davis, who's probably going to go to in the WNBA draft this year. Uh, Still a big team there. So that should be a good game and a great, a top 25 team. And then at the top, you've got kind of a little bit wider range than they saw last year. Cause last year it was Oregon, South Carolina, Baylor. It was the three clear best teams in the country. Uh, all season long that they played that was in that kind of top 10 grouping and this year I I think things will shake out a little bit differently I mean you've got South Carolina is probably I mean there's like I've said before there's a lot of question marks on all these teams so you don't really know but South Carolina is probably going to be near the top all season long we've got you know a Mississippi State and a Louisville team that kind of hung more in that probably like you know six to ten balance last year probably in similar spots this year And then a Baylor team that I would have originally said was going to be, you know, in that top kind of elite group of South Carolina right now, but kind of rough news coming out of there. I think it was yesterday about Dee Dee Richards. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens there with that injury. Right. And if you're not aware, uh, Baylor's Dee Dee Richards suffered a spinal injury, right? During a collision in practice and is out indefinitely. So very scary, obviously hope, she's just okay health-wise, let alone with basketball. But we also got some news on UConn's Big East schedule. So Val Ackerman, commissioner of the league, announced that 
the conference is going to start play on December 4th. That's also the date that UConn's scheduled to play Louisville, but there's 11 teams in the league. So one team's always bound to be on a bye. So I just imagine UConn's going to open up with that bye and then they can play two or three days later, whatever it decides to be. They didn't formally announce what the schedule is going to be, but Ackerman did say that each school is going to play four games before the holidays and that the schedule will be for December will be released quote imminently. And then after the holidays, they're going to start playing again on December 30th, but they didn't just announce what the schedule for that is going to be, or even what the format's going to be. But I think it's good to start Biggie's play earlier. Obviously you want to get as many games in as possible. And I think it is kind of nice to have these non-conference games mixed in with conference matchups, just because I feel like conference season for UConn can always get stale. Like, Obviously, this is a better conference than the AAC, but UConn's still going to kick the crap out of probably half the conference, if not three-fourths of the conference. So I think it's just good to mix it up with different opponents, and especially now that it's a round-robin format, double-round-robin format, where you see every team twice. It's nice to see a fresh team and just get one of those more exciting games in. But yeah, I think it's nice to kind of get a sense of what the schedule is going to look like, at least pretty much until the end of the year. Agreed. I agree with all those points. I think with our luck, the kind of first few game schedule will probably come out before this comes out tomorrow. But um, yeah, it'll be good to see them start out with that conference or not conference tournament. Sorry, the Thanksgiving kind of weekend tournament against Quinnipiac and then probably Mississippi State. So he's got hopefully a top 10 matchup right off the bat there. And then December 4th, the Louisville game. So another top 10 matchup before you head into Big East play. And then They'll have a few games of Biggie's play. If it's not a DePaul or Marquette, they're not going to have too tough of a time. So there'll be some time for the kind of the younger players to get on the floor some before that Baylor game comes up in January. So I think it's going to be a nice balance for them with kind of quick tests out the back or at the start of the schedule to see kind of measure where they're at, but then some easier ones for the younger players to find their footing, get some more minutes, and then kind of reevaluate where you're at again heading into January. Right. I agree. And a big topic of conversation today with all the coaches was what that format's going to look like after December 30th. So I know pretty much every coach, I think, was asked about if a bubble would work. And all of them, with the exception of Villanova's head coach, seemed to be in favor of it in some sense where you go to a bubble and play for two weeks at most completely maximum and get a few games in. I don't honestly know how valuable that would be. If you're playing in a bubble for only two weeks, what, what difference does that make if you're just testing every three days while you're on campus and trying to keep your team in a pseudo bubble on campus? Because two weeks isn't a long time and, if anyone on the team tests positive for COVID right now, they have to, the entire team has to sit out for two weeks. So I don't know, just personally, I don't think it would really have a huge effect on whether or not games get canceled. I do think it's inevitable, unfortunately, that at least one school has an outbreak just because we've seen it with all the sports that are playing in home markets right now, baseball, the Marlins and Cardinals had outbreaks I follow MLS, so the Colorado Rapids had an outbreak and their schedule is all messed up. The NFL is its own complete mess, college <laughs> football. 
is its own disaster zone as well. So I think it's naive to assume that there's not going to be an outbreak somewhere. And I think even some of the coaches in Val Ackerman admitted it, that there's going to be disruptions in the schedule and you just have to try and minimize those. And maybe if things get really, really bad and like one game a week is getting delayed by COVID, then yeah, I think you go to a bubble, but I just don't know if those short bubbles will really, really do anything when I feel like the teams are pretty restricted on campus as they are right now. Yeah, I'm interested to see kind of what happens with it. I feel like I agree that in some ways, like the two-week bubble, just it's only two weeks. It really doesn't have that many advantages. Where I see it having more advantages is if campuses kind of have students back on campus, it might be helpful because I think what we're looking at for the start of the season right now is I would say the vast majority of kind of D1 schools are going with this plan where students are going home for Thanksgiving and they're not coming back to campus. So you've got this kind of two-month window between the end of November and middle of January where it's really just going to be athletes on campus. So we've kind of got a little bit less risk because there's just less interaction with other students, less people around. Um, But then when you get to, you know, mid-January and kids come back to campus, I think that's when things start to get a little dicier. And that's where I think you could see probably, like you said, there's going to be disruptions. Do you start seeing more disruptions then? And does it make sense to go to a bubble? At that point, you've got less than two months left of the regular season. So trying to figure out what makes sense there. I think where we'll really see bubbles, though, is if things all go as planned and we get to a postseason. I feel like when it comes to postseason play, the bubbles are going to make a lot more sense. Oh, I fully agree on that. I don't think there's any reason not to have the Big East tournament be in a bubble, especially with Mohegan Sun hosting Bubbleville for a lot of the early season tournaments and even some of UConn's games here. Yeah, the Big East tournament should absolutely be in a bubble unless by March we're in a situation where the pandemic's in a really good spot and we don't have to worry about it. But I'm pretty sure UConn stays at Mohegan Sun for conference tournaments anyways. So yeah, like... The players aren't going to be able to go out with their families after the game and walk around the casino and get food and shop and those things. But everyone's at the hotel anyways. I don't think a bubble would be vastly different than what's already happening. And then again, with the NCAA tournament, I think it makes too much sense not to do it because there's so much just risk involved with if the NCAA tournament has an outbreak, do you just knock those teams off? And is it fair to eliminate them because they got sick whether or not that's their fault can you delay the ncaa tournament until teams get healthy like i i think tournament bubbles definitely make sense but for regular seasons i just have a little bit of a harder time seeing it but i also unlike our last conference feel pretty good that the big east is going to make the right decisions on what to do and how to keep the athletes and staff safe so if they do go for a bubble format i'm sure they've done more research than I have into this and they find that it makes sense. Right. Exactly. It sounds like, especially from what everyone said today, that like health and safety are obviously the first priority and they're finding ways and have task force set up to try to figure out what the best approach is. So obviously there's people spending a lot more time than the two of us are on figuring (laughs) out all these things. That's what they're getting paid to do. So um, yeah, hopefully they will find a way to kind of make it all work, keep everybody safe and have limited disruptions. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So before we get into what Gino said about his team during media day, I just want to highlight a couple interesting points that some of the other coaches mentioned about UConn. So... Doug Bruno, who's obviously a longtime friend of Gino, UConn played DePaul every single year, pretty much, even when they weren't in the same conference. He called UConn the best college basketball program ever, even better than John Wooden's UCLA program. And Doug Bruno says he has the ability to say that because he's old enough where he watched John Wooden's UCLA teams. I, I really believe that, and I, I've said this often, and maybe I'm repeating myself too often, but I believe UConn is the best program in the history of all college basketball. And I'm old enough to have got, watched very closely the Coach Wooden teams of the 60s and, and 70s. He said that, and he kind of presented it as a hot take, but like, yeah, I thought that argument died a while ago. Like, unless you're some super sexist dude that's for some reason attached to guys that played 60 years ago, like, the game of basketball is just so much advanced past where UCLA was. The NCAA tournament was so much different where it was so much easier to get to the final four because it was so regionalized. It, it was just a completely different world. What UConn's done and the consistency they've maintained is just unbelievable. Like, yes, it's not a hot take that UConn's the best college basketball program ever. I don't think even UCLA's that close. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, what you said about kind of how college basketball used to be run back when UCLA had that kind of run and through winning all those championships, they paid basically all West Coast teams to go to the Final Four, which, I mean, now we see strong, in, at least on the women's side, like Pac-12 conferences, but the West Coast isn't where like basketball is really known for college basketball, so it was kind of an easy run for them to get to the final four every year. Whereas obviously UConn's been incredibly consistent. They play the hardest teams and still are winning all those championships. So agreed. Just there's no question. Also Gino's won 11 titles over the span of 25 years. Well, I guess it would be 21 years when he won his last one, but there's no way Gino's retiring with, without more than 11 national championships anyway. So this number is only going to increase, but UCLA won all but one of their national titles between 1964 and 1975. So obviously that's like amazing dominance for one decade. But like I said, UConn's been on this run for 25 years, a quarter of a century, and there's definitely no sign of them slowing down anytime soon. So I think you add the fact that the, the achievements are relatively comparable, but the fact that UConn has such better longevity and I mean, aside from the national championships, there's just so many different stats that you can pull out about how incredible UConn's success has been, like how long they were in the AP top five, their final four streak that they're currently on just even their elite eight streak that they're on. There's just so many different ways that you can, illuminate UConn's dominance that show up beyond just national championships 
that has extended for 25 years. That is older than I, longer than I've been on this planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just have been like, I, I mean, it's not longer than I've been on this planet, but it's basically <laughs> the entire time that I've been on this planet. Like, I can't remember a time where UConn women's basketball wasn't like a huge deal. And it just continues to be that. And it's going to keep being that, right? You've got four years of kind of the page era, if everyone's starting to call it, coming up. I'm sure, like, the way the recruiting classes are stacked in the next years coming, like, it's, it's going to continue to be that good. And then you look at what's happened at the next level, too, and the amount of UConn talent that's gone on to win MVPs and win championships in the WNBA. It's just a whole different level of dominance. Yeah, so shout-out to Doug Bruno for – the soundbite but at the same time it I don't think it was as hot of a take as he thought it was the next part I think it's safe to say is probably the highlight of media day (laughs) so Creighton's coach Jim Flannery was actually pretty funny throughout the day so he was asked about bubbles and he mentioned and I know that since you're from Hartford I I just want you to know that if we do have disruption I would be okay with it being right before we play UConn when coaches can acknowledge that UConn's probably going to beat them by 50 and they can just accept it because that is what's going to happen. But he also went on to tell a story about how he's already having nightmares about UConn being in the conference. I actually had a, I wanted to be in Madison Square Garden in person because I wanted to tell a story. I actually had a dream early in the pandemic, probably April, and we were in a preseason tournament in Cancun or Bahamas or somewhere. And we were supposed to play UConn in a non-con game. Um, and we'd played our first game and I didn't know when our second game was. I knew we were playing UConn, but I didn't know what day, where it was. And I'm wandering around the island and I run into Gino and, and Chris Daly. And believe, Gino was like 6'4", and he was built like a linebacker. Um, <laughs> And long story short, I was too I was too chicken to ask him when we were supposed to play each other, and I couldn't find any of my assistants because they were off doing island things. And uh, so anyway, that was my <clears throat> kind of nightmare about UConn. So I don't think I ever would have imagined that Big East coaches are having literal nightmares <laughs> over UConn. Literal nightmares. yeah i guess they're probably just having flashbacks that every time that they've ever been beaten by uconn by like 50 points (laughs) and they've had a nice break from that but it's pretty funny i think the funniest part about that story was when he was like in his dream that gino was like six (laughs) four and like built like a linebacker which is just so fire (laughs) like gino so this is too funny (laughs) and i also find it funny that it actually didn't have anything to do with the fact that he had to play uconn it was more just that he didn't know when the time of the game was and he didn't want to ask Gino about it. Like it. So it's funny to like say, Oh, he's having nightmares about UConn. Yeah. He's having nightmares about not knowing when he's going to play UConn. So maybe it was a, a premonition that the game before UConn is going to play them gets disrupted somehow. I don't know. Of all the highlights throughout the day, I think that was definitely the best one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that would have to be my favorite too. It was- it was a good joke. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go into an ad break quick, and then we're going to come back to talk about the state of the team as told by Gino. And we're back, and just before we get into things, just want to shout out our partner, Home Fields Apparel. If you want any old throwback Yukon gear, 
Homefields has some really, really nice stuff. They've got sweatshirts, t-shirts, all sorts of different logos, throwbacks, different colors too. They sent me a couple of things, really comfortable and I wear it all the time. So if you go to Homefields with your first purchase, you can get 20% off using the code stores central stores as in stores, Connecticut, no spaces in that. So yeah, Homefield apparel. So when Gino finally got up to the virtual podium, he kind of gave a rundown of where his roster is at the moment. So we've kind of gotten bits and pieces of it throughout the way. I think this was probably the most in-depth one that he's given and gives the best idea of what the rotation is going to look like, which makes sense considering they've been in full practice for a couple weeks now. And obviously he's going to have more information on his team the more time he's on the court with them. Mentioned this about the juniors. You know, we've got a couple returning players and Kristen, who you see, and and, uh, and Olivia. Um, you know, they, you know, they're in their third year playing for us and they have the experience of playing in a lot of big games and, and, and winning a lot of big games and playing in the Final Four. And, you know, so we're really going to rely on them heavily for for a lot of things, you know, on and off the court. Um, and, and that's uh, that's always a key to, to a team success, you know, what kind of leadership you're getting from your upperclassmen. And then he also had a bit of a strange quote about Avina Westbrook. Hope, we're hopeful that, you know, Avina um, can shake off some of the rust of not playing a lot uh, during the last – year and year and a half and then coming off of surgery. So those three uh, I, I think are going to be a, a big focal point for, for our team and how well they play this season is really going to depend. We'll determine what kind of season we have. This isn't the first time that Gino's kind of been a little cagey with how he responds about a question with Avina. He's said a couple times that he doesn't think she's at a hundred percent back from her knee injury yet now he still thinks she needs to shake the rust off I guess it's only two weeks into practice and maybe I'm looking a little bit too much into it but Gino really hasn't given any great endorsements to Avina Westbrook's health or abilities to this point yeah I would agree with that I just don't think we've heard him say anything super positive about her which I mean normally isn't that weird for Gino but granted some of the things he's said about the freshman and stuff seems a little bit odd um, but then he also kind of followed up that quote with Vina saying that Kristen, Olivia and Vina as good as they were the team was gonna kind of or how good they were would define kind of how the team does this season which is interesting that he kind of grouped her in with Kristen Olivia there because I think we're all expecting you know big seasons from Kristen and from Olivia but Vina I just feel like I don't know what to expect partially because we haven't seen her play at UConn partially because everything that Gino keeps saying just makes it seem like she's not quite back from the injury and the rust of not playing for a year right and I think Gino's honest enough with his evaluation of players that if he says Kristen and Liv are going to be really good this year, especially you consider the history where players this good always develop. Like with the talent that Kristen and Olivia have shown to this point, they're absolutely going to start getting better and better. And now that they're juniors, I think this is really the point where those great players take the next 
take the next step with their game. So I don't know exactly what their seasons are going to look like, but I know at least Kristen and Olivia are going to be really, really good this year. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what to expect out of Avina, and I'm getting increasingly concerned that Gino can't find a good thing to say about her on the court besides she's really competitive because I that it's like defense. It's something that you can control. So I think UConn has a very, very glaringly large hole at point guard, and my assumption going into the season was that Avina was going to take over the reins at least to start so that Paige and Nika could kind of work their way in. But I'm really feeling a lot less confident about that. And I, I don't know. I'm, I thought it was a little bold that Avina made the big East all preseason team. And I just, I don't know. I really, really don't know what to expect out of her. Yeah, I also was kind of surprised to see her on the all-preseason team. Like, Olivia obviously made sense. Her was kind of like, okay, she definitely has the potential to be a player that's going to be on the list at the end of the season, but just I don't really know what that was based off for her to be put there. I guess maybe it was just like they felt like they needed another UConn player. You don't really know who that next one should be. I don't know. But, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see her name there. I just feel like... It maybe she could be at that level, but I feel like it. I'd be more inclined to think that Anna or Aubrey would be playing at that level. Right, and it's weird because Avina was a really good player for Tennessee. Her stats were really good there, and it's not like the SEC is some pushover program. But I think as we've kind of seen, transfers can be tricky. Obviously, like Natalie Butler, Batuli Kamara, never totally worked out for UConn. Even Azaray Stevens took a little while to get going. So I think you add in the fact that transfers are a bit of a mixed bag with UConn and her knee injury and the fact that Gino doesn't seem to be exactly over the moon about her. I think I don't think it's time to hit the panic button on Avina because like the season's still a good ways away and there's plenty of time. But I think it's definitely fair to start being a little concerned about it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say, too. I don't think, I mean, there's no need to panic. I mean, even if she wasn't at full form all season long, like, there's still a lot of other pieces on this team. It's not like a death sentence for this team by any means. Um, but it is obviously disappointing from her for her to, like, have sat all of last year without a waiver, especially now this year. It kind of feels like the NCAA has disapproved everyone's waiver. Um, right. And then to kind of have the surgery and have, she's got a lot to come back from and, and then everything else going on in the world as well. Like um, hopefully she gets back on the court and is kind of at that level that people are hyping her up to be, but I guess we'll see in a few weeks. Right. So I actually have a take about Avina. If you look at the way the roster is constructed and strictly by eligibility, they can bring back this entire group next year and add in the freshman class. But I don't think we need to bring Avina into consideration for next year's team because I think either she's the player that she was at Tennessee and maybe is even better and is kind of what we expected when she transferred, which would mean that she's going to be a first round pick in the WNBA and with her knee injury history should go pro. If she doesn't get to that level and she isn't good enough where she's going to be a first round pick in the WNBA draft, I think that means she's not even playing up to a level where she can see the court consistently. So I think either Avina is going to be off in the WNBA next year, 
or she's going to be on the bench and is going to be either a player that doesn't make any impact or only gets a handful of minutes behind what's going to be a really, really loaded backcourt. So I, I just think there's no reason to count on having Avina next season. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense in terms of if she's at that level that she was in Tennessee, she will be a first-round draft pick this year. It's a, and she'd be smart to go, not just from the injury history, but I think it is just probably going to be a little bit weaker of a draft class this year than it is next year. I mean, it's a little early to tell, but um, just kind of based off of who's eligible this year versus next year, I think it would be smart to go this year. And then otherwise, like her competition for minutes is not going to get easier going into her senior season. It's going to get harder. Um, You're going to have players like Paige and Nika that are not going to be freshmen anymore. I mean, if Paige lives up to the expectations, I think we can expect by sophomore year, Paige is going to be playing a lot of minutes. She's going to be paying a lot of minutes this year. So there's going to be a lot of competition for minutes in that backcourt. Yeah. So I think it'll just be really easy or really interesting to see how, this season goes for her carrying on with Gino's evaluations of the team. He did mention the sophomores and our two sophomores, you know, um, with, with Aubrey and, and Anna, um, you know, coming off freshman year where they, they each had kind of like their own uh, moments, you know, where they, they, they looked like they were going to be really, really good players. And now, you know, they're anxious to be more consistent to to be more productive and they can be, they can be. Uh, and they've both improved from last season. I don't think he really said a whole lot with those two. I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. I expect Aubrey Griffin to be a phenomenal player this year. Cause he said way back in July that she's already a thousand times better than she was last year. And she was really good last year. And then Anna, I think with a year under her belt, the way she was playing at the end of the season, and now that she was with a nutritionist and totally transformed her physique, I expect her to maybe not be the team's leading scorer. I still think that's probably Kristen, but I think she's probably going to push Kristen for that title. So I I just don't think there was much she could have said about the sophomores, but do you disagree with that? No, I agree with what you said. I think we saw Anna get really good towards the end of last season, and I think that's just going to continue. Um, I think there was a couple games in the end of the conference schedule and then the AAC, AAC tournament where she just, like, went off from three, and I have a feeling we'll be seeing a lot more than that of that. And then Aubrey, I think, is just one of the players I'm most excited to see this season. She's just so much fun to watch, and I obviously think her minutes are probably going to go up a little bit this year as a sophomore. And I mean, she's very disruptive on the defensive end. If she can get things going better on the offensive end, she's going to be a really good player for this team too. I think trying to figure out Aubrey's potential is one of my favorite things to do in my free time. Cause clearly I have a very interesting life going, <laughs> but look at some of the talent that UConn's bringing in to begin with. So obviously you have ahead of her, Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson, Adota, and then You've also got Anna Makarov. So you've got three players that are on your own team that are either your age or above that you're probably going to be battling for all American spots with. You've got Paige Beckers who, if she doesn't win a national player of the year award, not to put too much pressure on a freshman, but (laughs) that's going to be a disappointment if she doesn't. Then obviously the rest of the freshman class, we don't even know much about the rest of them. You've got Carolyn Ducharm coming in next year, who, as more time goes by, seems to 
the hype around her seems to be growing and growing and growing. Amari DeBerry, AZ Fudd hasn't even committed yet. So regardless of if she comes to UConn or not, I think she's probably going to be an All-American contender for a good chunk of her career. And then just the talent around the rest of the country, like everyone that's gone to South Carolina, Haley Van Lith at Louisville, Oregon's players. Like, I think there's so much talent coming into women's basketball right now that I have a hard time seeing where Aubrey can just find her way into an All-American spot, even if she is really, really good. Because if UConn's totally loaded, like they have been in 20. 16, 17, 18. We've seen that UConn's really never going to get more than three All-Americans in a given year. So if you just kind of look at how the roster is constructed, let's say next season, Aubrey's phenomenal. Well, you have Kristen, you have Liv, and then you have Paige. Like, I don't know. Like, I just really find it interesting where Liv or where Aubrey fits in to what UConn is building and where she stands up to these other players in terms of talent. Yeah. It's definitely going to be something interesting to watch. It's certainly an uphill battle for her to find herself in a like all American spot. Like you just said, just on UConn alone, the amount of talent that she's competing with. But I do kind of see like, I mean, she was first, she had a really solid freshman year, which she's probably only going to go up from there. Like, I think if you, not that she means she's more talented than Liv, but if you compared like her freshman year to Liv, I think it, she had a much stronger freshman year than Olivia oh, did. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of paralleled Aubrey when she came in to Gabby Williams, who obviously was a became an All-American at UConn. I, mean, I see that comparison, but I feel like freshman Aubrey Griffin was much better than freshman Gabby Williams. So it's not like out of the question that she could elevate her game to get to that level, but I do feel like, yeah, like you said, a lot of competition at UConn and then a lot of competition around the country to really be able to slide into one of those spots. I also just don't feel like the Gabby Williams comparison really fits anymore because I know Gino's mentioned that, yeah, Aubrey and even to a degree Mir have a similar athleticism to Gabby, but he mentioned that Gabby was so strong and muscular that Aubrey and Mir don't have and also those teams that Gabby was on her last two years she was pretty much UConn center she was 5'11 but she more or less played at their as their center because she had the jumping ability to compete for those rebounds Fisa kind of played the four I don't think that's going to be Aubrey's role on this team partially because they have Olivia Nelson a Dota and a Mary DeBerry's coming in but I just don't think that's her game. She seems like more of a wing player that can slash, that can crash the boards for rebounds. And it seems like she's developing her outside shot more, something that Gabby never really had in college. So I do understand the comparison, but just I think the more that we watch these two play, uh, the more that we watch Aubrey play, the less it's going to hold water. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I think there's similarities in their athleticism, but like you said, Gabby played center. I think Aubrey's a little bit quicker. Um, she's going to be more disruptive on defense just because of kind of the way she plays. Um, and then, like you said, she has kind of that outside shot that she was developing later in the season. Um, but yeah, I like struggle with where she can end up because I do wonder if, like, I haven't, like, looked into this at all, but it just, it does feel like in the last few classes, there's just been, like, a 
higher like influx of like top talent right like i feel like Mm -hmm. if you put her up against like like if you take where she'll be by her like say junior season and put her up like this year's all americans or or, like last year's all americans like would she fit in there i think very possibly it just seems like the kind of the next handful of classes that have come in are just really stacked with talent yeah well i will say this i don't mean to compare aubrey griffin to brianna stewart because nobody should be compared to (laughs) brianna stewart but i think aubrey has the potential to be the most impactful player on uconn's team because she can do so much that nobody else can do like we saw against seton hall and in the aac tournament that when she's on she can score the basketball nobody can stop her but then she can also crash the boards and with basically without almost breaking a sweat she can get 16 rebounds and 11 of them are going to be on the offensive boards. And then as we saw against Tennessee, she can just totally throw a wrench into your offensive game plan and just totally cause chaos on the defensive end. And I don't think there's another player on UConn's team that can do all those things where last year, obviously she's a freshman. So we saw bits and pieces throughout the year. If UConn can and Gino and his staff can get those bits and pieces to come together. And she can be doing that every single game. She's going to be an absolute force. So I, I think she could be one of those players that is never going to lead UConn in rebounds or points or assists or any stat, but she's going to be the one that if she gets hurt or UConn doesn't have her on the floor, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because she does all those things well and, I think that's what makes Brianna Stewart so, so good is that she can rebound, she can block shots, she can score from everywhere on the court. So just in that type of sense, a player that can dominate from every single inch of the floor. Right. I think I I agree with what you're saying there. Like just the little things that she does that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. I think what you pointed to in the Tennessee game is a perfect example. Like in that game, you kind of was struggling in the first half, maybe even the first three quarters of that game. Like they could not break out to a lead at all. And it it was Aubrey Griffin coming in off the bench. That's like totally like the defense got so much better it totally messed with Tennessee's game plan I remember I went to that game we did like a work event with my day job and everyone <laughs> around me like knows that I like cover UConn basketball and stuff and they're like who's this girl like because she's a freshman it's probably like the first game they've seen of the season um so yeah kind of I think that type of play is what we can expect from Aubrey going down the stretch and she's going to be a huge PSD UConn success whether or not it shows up on the stat sheet so much right and I think that piece is what maybe will keep her from becoming an all-american or really getting the accolades that she deserves just because i think it is such a stat heavy game where sabrina ionescu obviously a great player but does she get all the attention that she had if she wasn't racking up triple doubles every single game like because it was triple doubles that draws people's attention like i don't know maybe aubrey does turn into a triple double or yeah triple double machine down the road but i think she just could be one of those players that the stats just never do her justice and i guess nafis is kind of a more recent example of yes she had really good stats but she was also better than her stats and that's just what a lot of national people never seem to get and why she didn't get the recognition nationally so uh, I'm just very excited to see what she becomes and just how she 
I guess how she comes along over these next few years. Yep, I totally agree with that point about kind of how the media doesn't always, or the people that vote on those wars don't always recognize like things that come off the stat sheet, which I, I get, right? It's hard, like you can't watch every single game. So it's one of the only ways that you can kind of just look at a piece of paper and evaluate these players. But I, yeah, I could probably do a whole podcast on ranting about how like who scores the most points per game is not necessarily the best player in the country. But anyway, um, yeah. I, I disagree that that's going to be kind of a holdup for her probably getting kind of recognized in those national awards. She does you know what she could be in the running for, though. I could see Aubrey winning a, a defensive player of the year. Yeah, think. that is true. Yeah, because especially if she can start to guard, like last year when Olivia Nelson and Dota would get in foul trouble, they'd stick Aubrey in at center. So if she can get a little stronger and be able to guard those bigs, but then also be able to jump out and take – another team's best guard and just do what she did in that Tennessee game every single game yeah she's absolutely defensive player of the year material yeah I think you saw Dee Dee Richards from Baylor won that award last year and actually if you like kind of watch their games there's a lot of parallels between the two of their games Dee Dee Richards isn't like a huge offensive player for Baylor hasn't been a huge offensive player for Baylor but kind of what she does on defense there's some definite similarities in the two of their games I also kind of want to talk about Anna Makarat now that we're on the sophomores, <laughs> just because she's also a player that I can't really figure out what she's going to be because we saw those flashes last year, but I think she's just also such a unique player to what UConn's had where she's not a point guard. I think if you're going to fit her into a box, she's a shooting guard, but she really does have the vision and the passing ability of a point guard. So when was the last time UConn had someone that wasn't their true go-to point guard that played off the ball that could pass as well as she could and would be able to make the offense that dynamic from a spot on the floor that isn't bringing the ball up? Yeah, she definitely adds a def or like an interesting element to their game because we saw that towards the end of the last season, kind of how good she got at passing. I think you know, or Kristen has commented on that as well, kind of going down that like she's become even better this season. Um, I feel like a lot what we saw from her freshman year and her big games was like catch and shoot threes, but towards the end of the season, she's kind of seemed to develop some more confidence going into lane, making big passes. And I think as that part of her game develops more, she's going to be a huge part of this team as well. I think the offense is going to be so fun to watch this year because on – just like this could be a very basic lineup, but you have Avina and Paige and maybe, or maybe either one of Avina and Paige and then Kristen and Anna and Olivia, all four players who are really, really good passers. So it's just a matter of who's dribbling the ball past half court. And then I think you can do a lot of different creative things with moving the ball and it'll kind of look like, these are the teams I watched the most my first two years covering the team, but those Katie Lou, Nafisa, Gabby, Kia nurse teams where they would pass the ball up the court on a fast break and it wouldn't hit the floor. Like those type of teams where everyone on the floor can pass it and the offense just becomes so dynamic that you can't just shut crystal danger field down and the entire offense comes to a seizing halt. Like, I think it's going to be really fun to see just how this team attacks the basket with all the different passing weapons that they have. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, those teams were so much fun to watch on offense. So it'll be, especially after kind of last year's team, the offense was just ugly, to be like frank, a lot of the time. So <laughs> it will be a nice change to see that. But I also think it kind of, you know, negates a little bit the problem of like, okay, who's the starting point guard on this team? Because that is kind of a big question right now. And as much as like, Kristen is better off the ball like if she has to jump into that spot I think because you have so many other people on the team that can pass the ball like it's not as much of a detriment to you kind of have to put her in that spot because yeah she might be dribbling it over half court but like there's still four other players on the floor that can make passes so she's not stuck playing on the ball all the time right yeah because I think if it was kind of the same thing when Kia Nurse was here not to keep referencing older teams but if Kia Nurse was playing point guard, then you were downgrading at two positions. You were downgrading at point guard, no offense to Kia Nurse's point guard abilities either. And you were downgrading at, you were just downgrading Kia Nurse because she was better off the ball. And I think it's the same thing with Kristen. You want her off the ball and she can obviously handle those, but if she's really, really going to flourish into the player we expect her to be this year, I think she'd be in the best position to do that not having to take the ball up every time. Yep, agreed. And uh, I don't think that's going to be the case, right? Like, it might be the case yeah. at the start, but, I mean, you've got Avina, which is a question mark, but, like, I don't think it's out of the question to think that, like, a month into the season that that will be Paige's job. Like, it, if she has a solid freshman season, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit, but like, there is no question in my mind that, like, Paige could be the starting point guard on this team. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get into the freshman then. So, Continuing on with Gino's comments, we've obviously had our own freshman rankings throughout the offseason. Gino, without having it be officially titled that, basically gave us an idea of where each freshman is. Everybody knows, you know, everybody knows about Paige. Everybody knows because that's that's what comes with being so highly recruited and and that's all the attention and that's all well and good. She, you know, Paige handles it great. You know, she's a great teammate. She's you know, easy to coach. She's easy to be around with, with her teammates. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think Paige is single-handedly going to come in here and win us the national championship. That's not how this works. So, you know, um, the, other, the other young players are, uh, are all going to contribute in their own way. And, um, and some of them more than others. You know, by looks of it right now, you know, if you, if you come to our practices, uh, there are times when, Aliyah, you know, Aliyah Edwards and Nika Mule, you know, those, those guys, sometimes they look like they've been playing college basketball for a while, you know, because they fit right in, they slide right in, you know, that so Paige, Nika, Aliyah, they, they kind of mix really, really well with our returning players. Um, you know, Mir once in a while, Piath, Les, Autumn, who uh, was a walk-on, Les, but everybody's gotten better. Everybody's gotten better. Everybody's been able to catch up, um, you know, a little bit more each each and every day, each and every uh, each and every week that we've practiced. So I think that's kind of on par with what we've heard to this point. I just think the newest information we got was on Mir Mir McLean, just because we hadn't heard anything about her, and I wasn't totally sure if it was just because no one had been asking about her or if she wasn't doing anything notable, but it does line up that Paige, Aaliyah, and Nika are 
kind of the one standing out so far, which makes sense because Paige is the number one recruit. Ali is, has senior national team experience with Canada. I feel like that gets glossed over more than it should. And then Nika's a European player who is should should have been expected to come in and be a step above a normal college freshman. I think what he said isn't overly concerning about Mir because he did say that she does have those flashes every once in a while. And I just think she's going to have less opportunity than Aubrey did last year to have those flashes and be able to have these breakout games because there's going to be so many people in front of her. So even if she doesn't make a huge impact this year, I don't think it's necessarily a death knell for her career at UConn. And then Piaf Gabriel, she was supposed to be a project. It kind of seems like that's where she is right now anyways. I think the biggest question with her when the season starts is just where she is in her game. Like, will she be able to make any impact this year or will it basically just be a redshirt year? And then unsurprisingly, Autumn is at the bottom. She's a walk-on. Yeah, I think it was just interesting to finally get Gino's Gino's thoughts on the entire freshman class at once instead of him just kind of picking and choosing different players that he's seen make plays so far. Agreed. I think you were spot on with what you said about Mir McLean too. Like, I don't think it's concerning at all that he's saying she just has it in flashes. Like, I think that's pretty standard what Gino says about freshmen, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. it's kind of unique that he has such high praise for the other the three that he mentioned. So it's just a I think a difference between her and Aubrey is more just going to be the opportunity. Like the UConn roster was thin last year. If they needed a flash of something, like Aubrey was going to be one of the first choices and they needed her to show those flashes to win games sometimes. I don't know that that's going to be the case with this team, right? Like there's a lot of other options to turn to. So you don't necessarily like need to get good flashes from her. So there might be just kind of less opportunity to throw her in and just be like, see if we can get something today because we need something. Um, Right. But I think what he said about the other three makes sense. I mean, there's obviously a reason there's so much hype around Paige, right? Like it's, yeah, (laughs) like it's not for nothing. It's definitely kind of crazy to see like an 18 year old that hasn't played a single college game get this much attention, but she's going to be good in line. Like, Gino said it today I'm pretty sure it's quite blank like she's good <laughs> like yeah and then like you said Olia Edwards and Nika Mule both have kind of international experience that's gonna play a big role in them kind of just adjusting quicker than your typical freshman yeah I definitely agree with all of that and then I thought Gino's had a comment today someone asked him like what does success look like for Paige this year and I think if you polled UConn fans and asked, how, was Brian, did Brianna Stewart have a good freshman year? I think every single one of them would say yes. And he pointed out Brianna Stewart was really good in November and she was really good in February and she sucked in between. So I think if Paige does that where she has a really good November and then struggles for the rest of the regular season, like it's going to be like a five alarm fire. Like people are going to be losing their minds. It's going to be like once every single availability, like what's wrong with Paige? Can she come out of this funk? And then if she leads the team to the national championship, like nobody will ever care for the rest of history. So I think it's just, I just thought it was a really interesting answer from him on, you can't judge Paige's season until the end of it. And even still, it's kind of on a sliding scale, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I also thought it was kind of interesting. He kind of made a point in there about like the fact that like the social media presence that she and that she's right. gonna have to deal with is something kind of unique to like it hasn't happened before. Right? Like when Stewie came in, I was a freshman in college. Like Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Like it didn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> Twitter was a thing, but it like was nothing like it is now. Like you just you didn't have all of this like crazy social media attention that you have that Paige has to deal with. I mean, she's got like 500,000 followers on Instagram. It's insane. <laughs> um, right. So it's interesting to kind of see how that plays a role. It's the first, I feel like, I mean, yeah, because it was like Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson. She's basically the best recruit since the two of them from what everyone's saying. So mm-hmm. those were both kind of back before Instagram took off. So you didn't really have that. So it's kind of the first player that's really had all this hype around her because of that and it's she's gonna have to deal with, I mean I think the players are good about this and she already seems like she's pretty good about it, just ignoring what people say mm-hmm. but um yeah there's gonna be a lot of attention so that kind of I'm sure people said stuff about when Stewie was having rough months in her freshman year but it just wasn't like so viralized and it will be this year when it happens but it'll be interesting to see but agreed like what you said like if she wins a national championship at the end of it nothing none of it actually matters Right. I mean, the Boneyard has existed through this entire time. So <laughs> yes, it, that's always been there and that will always be there. But <laughs> I don't know how many players are reading the Boneyard. <laughs> I don't even read the Boneyard because the takes are so bad sometimes. <laughs> I see like that's the thing that sucks about having the players on Zoom is it was nice just sometimes to be able to walk up to them after practice and just like ask them an informal question. That would be one thing I would love to ask them. Like, do you guys even know what the boneyard is? <laughs> like I, I would be very, very curious, but I think I'm actually ready to say that I think Paige is going to have a very, very good freshman year and not just a good freshman year for freshmen. I've covered this team in, in a full season since the year after Stewie graduated. So the freshman classes I've seen come in have been Crystal Dangerfield, basically, Megan Walker, and that group. Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson-Adota, and then Anna Makara and Aubrey Griffin. I don't even think hype alone, but just the way that Paige carries herself and the way that Gino talks about her and the way that other players talk about her just isn't something that, we've seen or that I've seen personally covering this team. I think the closest comparison in terms of confidence is Kristen because very, very little rattled Kristen her freshman year. And she was similar to Paige and openly talking about how she knew she was going to have struggles throughout the year and how it wasn't going to be a perfect freshman year. And she just has to push through. But I think the fact that from like the first times we were talking with the team this year, Paige was already being talked about being really good. And the fact that Gino, who is more than happy to rip on a freshman has been saying that he's impressed her and she's really good. And the fact that she does keep her ego in check so well, despite all the hype and the fact that they don't have a point guard. Like I think it's just all lining up very, very well to the point that I feel pretty good thinking that she's going to be a pretty phenomenal player this year. And I wasn't comp, very confident saying that even last episode I don't think yeah I think it's just like to your point about the way she carries herself something that strikes me is like every time you talk to her when people ask her about like what success in her freshman year looks like or like what she wants to accomplish it's always about like the team it's always about winning and like 
not wanting to lose. It's never about like the fact that she wants to win national player of the year or anything like that. Like it's always about winning the team winning and and she obviously definitely has that competitive mindset I think when she kind of answered that question today she said like it's not just winning in games it's like she wants to win in practice in every drill like she wants to win off the court with her teammates like yeah I think she's she's just like a kid that the more you talk to her the more you want her to do well not because she's just got a phenomenal amount of talent and not because UConn needs her to be really good this year, but you just, she just has such a good vibe that you, she, like, she's inherently likable as a kid. And I think that's why she has so many Instagram followers and Twitter followers. And you just can't help but hope that she can do well with everything that she does. Yeah, exactly. And then she remains so humble for someone that's 18 years old with that much attention on them all the time and like that much, just like following. Like, she's still like, barely phases her it seems like like she just like not something she notices not something that affects her ego she just kind of carries on and just wants to win right she's just such a remarkable player that the fact that we haven't even seen her play yet and she's already impressed so many people so much is just she's gonna be an unbelievable player at UConn but I think just the sky's the limit for her in everything that she does it it's just it's going to be very, very fun to watch her throughout her entire career. Agreed. I can't wait. I think it's what, 26 days or so, 27 days we'll get to see her on the court. So <laughs> soon, but <laughs> yeah, then we'll actually get to talk about her playing college basketball just instead of just the thought of her playing college basketball. But agreed that next four years it's going to be, or three if she decides to leave early or whatever, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch her play at UConn. The takes are going to be flying after that first weekend. <laughs> Only hot takes are going to be allowed on that episode. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. That's all we got for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Read the UConn blog and Store Central. Subscribe to the Women's Basketball Weekly. Vote on Tuesday. Election Day is coming up. Vote if you haven't already. Wear a mask. Megan, you got anything else? I think that's it. That'll do it. <laughs>